is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast, where we explore the calendar of the Church. I am your host, James John Marks, recording from the city of Chicago. This week, we are examining the life of St. Moses the Ethiopian, also known as St. Moses the Strong, St. Moses the Black, and St. Moses of Skeet, whose feast day is celebrated on August 28th. We will begin with the account of his life, found on the website of the Orthodox Church in America. St. Moses lived in Egypt during the 4th century. He was an Ethiopian, and since he was black of skin, he was called Murin, meaning like an Ethiopian. In his youth, he was the slave of an important man, but after he committed a murder, his master banished him, and he joined a band of robbers. Because of his bad character and great physical strength, they chose him as their leader. Moses and his band of brigands were feared because of their many evil exploits, including murders and robberies, and people trembled at the mere mention of his name. Moses the brigand spent several years leading a sinful life, but through the great mercy of God, he repented, left his band of robbers, and went to one of the desert monasteries. Here he wept for a long time, begging to be admitted as one of the brethren. The monks were not convinced of the sincerity of his repentance, but the former robber would neither be driven away nor silenced. He continued to implore that they accept him. St. Moses was completely obedient to the Hagumenon of the Brethren, and he poured forth many tears of sorrow for his sinful life. After a certain while, St. Moses withdrew to a solitary cell where he spent his time in prayer and the strictest fasting. Once, four of the robbers of his former band descended upon the cell of St. Moses. He had lost none of his great physical strength, so he tied them all up. Throwing them over his shoulder, he brought them to the monastery, where he asked the elders what to do with them. The elders ordered that they be set free. The robbers, learning that they had chanced upon their former ringleader, and that he had dealt kindly with them, followed his example, and they repented and became monks. Later, when the rest of the band of robbers heard about St. Moses' repentance, they also gave up their thievery and became fervent monks. St. Moses was not quickly freed from the passions. He went often to the Hagumen, Abba Isidore, seeking advice on how to be delivered from the passions of profligacy. Being experienced in the spiritual struggle, the elder taught him never to eat too much food, to remain partly hungry while observing the strictest restraint, but the passions did not cease to trouble St. Moses in his dreams. Then Abba Isidore taught him the all-night vigil. The monk stood the whole night at prayer so that he would not fall asleep. As a result of his prolonged struggles, St. Moses fell into despondency, and when he began to have thoughts about leaving his solitary cell, Abba Isidore instead strengthened the resolve of his disciple. 
In a vision, he showed him many demons in the west prepared for battle, and in the east a still greater quantity of holy angels also ready for fighting. Abba Isidor explained to Saint Moses that the power of the angels would prevail over the power of the demons, and in the long struggle with the passions, it was necessary for him to become completely cleansed of his former sins. Saint Moses drove himself to additional labors. Making the rounds of the wilderness cells at night, he carried water from the well to each brother. He did this especially for the elders, who lived far from the well, and who were not easily able to carry their own water. Once, kneeling over the well, Saint Moses felt a powerful blow upon his back and he fell down at the well like one dead, laying there in that position until dawn. Thus did the devils take revenge upon the monk for his victory over them. In the morning, the brethren carried him to his cell, and he lay there crippled for a whole year. After he recovered, the monk, with firm resolve, confessed to the Hugumen that he would continue with his ascetic struggles. But the Lord himself put limits to this toil which lasted for many years. Abba Isidore blessed his disciple and told him that the passions had already left him. The elder commanded him to receive the holy mysteries and to go to his own cell in peace. And from that time, Saint Moses received from the Lord power over demons. Accounts about his exploits spread among the monks and even beyond the bounds of the wilderness. The governor of the land wanted to see the saint. When he heard of this, Saint Moses decided to hide from any visitors and he departed his own cell. Along the way, he met servants of the governor, who asked him how to get to the cell of the desert dweller Moses. And the monk answered them, Go no further to see this false and unworthy monk. The servants returned to the monastery, where the governor was waiting, and they told him the words of the elder that they had chanced to meet. The brethren, hearing a description of the elder's appearance, told them that they had encountered Saint Moses himself. When the saint reached the age of 75, he warned his monks that soon brigands would descend upon the skeet and murder all those who remained there. The saint blessed his monks to leave in order to avoid violent death. His disciples begged the saint to leave with them, but he replied, For many years now, I have awaited the time when the words spoken by my master, the Lord Jesus Christ, should be fulfilled. All who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. And after this, seven of the brethren remained with Saint Moses, and one of them hid nearby during the attack of the robbers. The robbers killed Saint Moses and the six monks who remained with him. Their death occurred in around the year 400. Additional events from his life are found in the Sayings of the Desert Fathers, published by Liturgical Press of Cistercian Publications. Another day, when a council was being held in Scetus, the fathers treated Moses with contempt in order to test him, saying, Why does this black man come among us? And when he heard this, he kept silence. And when the council was dismissed, they said to him, 
Abba, did that not grieve you at all? And he said to them, I was grieved, but I kept silence. It was said of Abba Moses that he was ordained and the ephod was placed upon him. And the archbishop said to him, See, Abba Moses, now you are entirely white. And the old man said to him, It is true of the outside, Lord and Father, but what about him who sees the inside? Wishing to test him, the archbishop said to the priests, When Abba Moses comes into the sanctuary, drive him out and go with him to hear what he says. So the old man came in, and they covered him with abuse, and drove him out, saying, Outside, black man, go out. And he said to himself, They have acted rightly concerning you, for your skin is as black as ashes. You are not a man, so why should you be allowed to meet men? A brother at Sketus committed a fault. A council was called to which Abba Moses was invited, but he refused to go to it. And then the priest sent someone to say to him, Come, for everyone is waiting for you. So he got up and he went. And he took a leaking jug, filled it with water, and carried it with him. And the others came out to meet him and said to him, What is this, father? And the old man said to them, My sins run out behind me, and I do not see them. And today I am coming to judge the errors of another. And when they heard that, they said no more to the brother, but they forgave him. Three elements of the life of St. Moses present themselves as particularly relevant for our contemporary experience. The first is his unflinching recognition of the extent to which he must forgive others because of how much God had forgiven him, something we find directly in the Lord's Prayer, which we recite several times a day, and yet perhaps it because our own desire to justify ourselves, we gloss over the consequences. The second element from the life of St. Moses to which we ought to pay careful attention is how St. Moses learned to use his physical strength not to subdue others into submitting to a moral way of life, but rather to subdue the demonic tempters of his soul while gently forgiving his former comrades in crime and vice. We see this shift in perspective on the use of masculine strength reflected in not only the 11th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, but also in Psalm 137, which is the same numbering in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you he who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to behold? A reed shaken by the wind? Why then did you go out? To see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, those who wear soft raiment are in the king's houses. Why then did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare the way before thee. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We piped to you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. From there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem. How they said, Raise it, raise it, down to the foundations. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, happy shall he be who requites you with what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. This quote from Christ has been misunderstood and misused at times to justify the establishment of institutions of human power as a means of maintaining the morality of other people by the point of a sword or the barrel of a gun. This psalm has also shocked many who have read it when they are unaware the interpretation of it passed down to us within the church, recognizing the little ones of Babylon to be our demonic tempters, which can only be overcome, as Christ said, by violent struggle. This battle is waged inside our hearts, so it may become the throne of God, not the throne of demons. On the other hand, let us consider the warning given by Evagrius the Solitary. He is not a saint because his speculative writings relied too much on those of Origen, which were later condemned. But his disciple, St. John Cassian, ensured that his practical writings, which were rooted in the traditions of the Desert Fathers, have been preserved. From his writing, on discrimination in respect of passions and thoughts, we find this passage. When our insensive power is aroused in a way contrary to nature, it greatly furthers the aim of the demons and is an ally in all their evil designs. 
Day and night, therefore, they are always trying to provoke it. And when they see it tethered by gentleness, they at once try to set it free on some seemingly just pretext. And in this way, when it is violently aroused, they can use it for their shameful purposes. So it must not be aroused either for just or for unjust reasons, and we must not hand a dangerous sword to those too readily incensed to wrath, for it often happens that people become excessively worked up for quite trivial reasons. Tell me, why do you rush into battles so quickly if you are really above carrying about food, possessions, and glory? Why keep a watchdog if you have renounced everything? If you do, and it barks, and attacks other men, it is clear that there is still some possessions for it to guard. But since I know that wrath is destructive of pure prayer, the fact that you cannot control it shows how far you are from such prayer. I am also surprised that you have forgotten the saints. David, who exclaims, cease from anger and put aside your wrath. And Ecclesiastes, who urges us, remove wrath from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. While the apostle commands that always and everywhere men should lift up holy hands without anger and without quarreling. And do we not learn the same from the mysterious and ancient custom of putting dogs out of the house during prayer? This indicates that there should be no wrath in those who pray. Their wine is the wrath of serpents, and that is why the Nazarenes abstain from wine. We succeed against the violent struggle of demonic temptation by replacing wrath with gentleness. Saint Paul, in the fourth chapter of his epistle to the Ephesians, gives the challenging call to be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We can see how clearly this apostolic teaching has been preserved and passed down to us from Saint Paul to the writings of Evagrios and the life of Saint Moses. Triumphing over temptation comes in the calm reassurance we can cling to Christ in humility, knowing he will defend us. This is crucial, most especially in our interactions with others. We must be prepared to do battle with spiritual enemies. On the other hand, we must never forget other human persons are icons of Christ, our neighbor, our brother in Christ, not enemies, no matter how far from Christ's likeness they may appear to be to us in this moment. There is a world of difference between speaking the truth in love with a genuine heartfelt desire to see someone who is deluded become closer to Christ and treating a human person like a demon by justifying our verbal violence toward them as wise correction. Our failure to discern this has opened the door for relativists to insist that if we aren't nice to those whom we see to be in moral error, then we are failing to love them, we are judging them, we are hypocrites, and not only can we be ignored, we must be resisted ourselves. To be clear, we create ground for an apparently valid argument claiming the only way to claim certain behavior are harmful to the self, to others, to society, and to creation as a whole, is by exhibiting callous, mean-spirited, and unforgiving behavior which is itself harmful in precisely the same ways. 
The culture war is not only a war we cannot win, it is a war we ought not fight at all. God's truth does not have to enter the contemporary cultural court, hat in hand, and defend his justice and love. God does not need us as his defense attorney. However, we will never gain any ground in correcting the problematic definitions of niceness and love if we so clearly lack all the fruits of the Spirit in ourselves. The third element from the life of St. Moses to which we ought to pay careful attention is his response to injustice. The bishop, knowing the history of St. Moses, feigned racial bigotry as a final confirmation of his worthiness to be ordained into the clergy. Unlike what we see in our culture today, St. Moses did not seek to justify himself. He did not seek to reform, dismantle, replace, or undermine the structure of the church which has been revealed by God, but rather, in humility, he accepted the insults of others, seeing them as an opportunity to be reminded of his own sin. Rather than asserting the injustice, he proved it so by behaving in a manner morally superior to his apparent accusers. We can clearly see a prototype in this of the systems of nonviolent non-compliance practiced by Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and Nelson Mandela. The culture war, virtue signaling, and the canceling of those in error are quite the opposite. We are called to honor the icon of Christ in others, which may at times require us to defend this icon in some direct manner, provided we are capable of being angry without sinning. But when it comes to honoring the icon of Christ within ourselves, we best accomplish this by remaining calm and humbly acknowledging how unlike Christ we are and how much repentance we still have left to accomplish. The false gospel of the algorithm teaches us to lash out, to let the watchdog off its chain, to win the argument, to correct the derelict, establish and exalt ourselves as capable of judging the earth. Society will crumble and vanish if we do not save it single-handedly with our wisdom and wit. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, as we have seen it lived out in the life of St. Moses, teaches us to have violent struggles within ourselves, but to treat those we encounter with gentleness, humility, and self-sacrificing love. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. This has been a joint production of Paradosis Pavilion and Generative Sounds. If this podcast has been edifying for you, please consider the entire Paradosis Pavilion catalog, as well as the music of Generative Sounds, both of which can be accessed via their respective websites indicated in the episode description. Please contact us through our social media channels if you are interested in providing us with feedback or engaging us in conversation, which we would welcome. We would humbly ask you to subscribe to the podcast at whichever publication service you are utilizing, and would also request you share this podcast with those you care about in the hope as many people as possible may have their spiritual lives enriched through a fuller awareness of the church calendar. Please forgive us our shortcomings and pray for us. 
This episode is published in loving memory of the reader Lucian Kennedy of Blessed Memory. We will conclude by chanting the third ikos from the Akathist to St. Moses the Ethiopian, as it is found on the website of the Fellowship of St. Moses the Black. Through fire and water you passed in your struggle to conquer the lust of the body. In your quest you warred against nature itself, depriving your body of food and sleep. By spending the nights hauling water for the brethren, you prepared your soul to become a habitation for the spirit, yet still being tormented. By this passion you was forced to call upon God for deliverance. Seeing your thirst, the Lord has brought you into a place of everlasting refreshment. Through you we have learned to rely on God and not ourselves, and so we praise you. Rejoice, victorious conqueror in the war against the passions. Rejoice, general in Christ's army. Rejoice, valorous spirit in battle. Rejoice, beacon of the light, overcoming the principalities and powers of darkness. Rejoice, you who were made strong by surrendering your weakness to God. Rejoice, for the arrows of the enemy cannot touch you. Rejoice, holy elder Moses, righteous teacher of true spiritual wisdom. of your holy fathers, O Christ our God. Have mercy on us and save us. Amen.